125. Let's sing, Jesus paid it all. Sing the first, second, and third stanzas, 125.
familiar, just the words is different. Let's have a word of prayer before we sing our song. Father, we are grateful, Lord, for the salvation work that you've done for us. We're all a bunch of unworthy people. But because you love, your grace, and your mercy, and we can uh, partake of that. And, and by believing you, you give us this eternal life that no man can pluck us out of your hand. This morning, Lord, I thank you, Lord, for everybody that's uh, with us this morning. Help us, Lord, as we hear your word preach again, Lord, this morning. Father, I pray, God, that you would help us to learn something. Uh, meet the needs that are here, Lord, and those that are watching uh, on air. We pray, God, that you would bless them also in a very special way. And we'll thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Let's sing our third song. Uh, let's sing uh, 474. <laughs> for the middle of this screen over there, 474. Okay, sing the first, the second, and the last answers. Not have I nothing but Those are here. Man, 
How many of those are here? Same the same five grades. Man. All right. I, that's his help. They're going to help me sing a song this morning. Uh, lesson was this morning, Sunday school. Uh, speak of that, the institution of the uh, Passover. And Something that was very interesting is in verse 13 of chapter 12, where, where God was said, said that he would come down and he would just look at the blood that was on the door. He's not going to go inside and look who's worthy. Nobody is worthy. Thank you. 
that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Out of works, lest any man should boast. Amen. of Christianity today is about how great you are and how much you are special. And there's a balance all of that. But it's the Lord who is the one who deserves all the credit for everything. That was a blessing. Enjoyed hearing that. Uh, I want you folks to know I taught him how to play the violin. I taught Sammy how to play the guitar. I taught Francis how to sing. So just wanted this to know. Jared, it's good to see you. It's been several years. I remember when you got baptized in the ocean. That's right. It's good to see you. You look good. Thank you so much. I mean, uh, you know, I don't want to butter you up too much. You know, but, uh, <laughs> Abigail, I have something to give to you before we, before I forget. I just want you to know, so that uh, if you if I'm talking, interrupt me. I'm going to give this to you, okay? It was about something that you had a question about many months ago before you had to go out to sea. Okay, so this is going to be helpful for you. All right. Uh, and, of course, it's good to see uh, Nick, uh, Danielle, too. And your new baby. That's right. Boy, she is, she is very cute, actually. Got a nice face and everything, you know, and uh, it's so good that uh, God gives you a child that looks like the mother. <laughs> All right, well, I'm looking forward to people being back in church again. A lot of people are out sick, and uh, they're not hiding. They're just, you know, not here, and so I do miss them when they're not here, but uh, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad you're not sick. Let's go to the New Testament this morning, Luke chapter 2. This could be considered a Christmas verse or shortly after the birth of Christ, but it really has a lot of things to say as well. And uh, by the way, I want you to know that when you learn the Bible, it is not just to be smart. In Psalm 86, verse number 11, as you turn to Luke chapter 2, in Psalm 86, verse number 11, it says this, Teach me thy way, O Lord, I will walk in thy truth, unite my heart to fear thy name. That is about learning the Bible but by learning the Bible, you also learn how to walk the Bible. So teach me thy way, O Lord, I will walk in thy truth. So when you learn the scriptures, it helps you to walk better in Christ. Yes. And so we, the walk is a reference to your daily living. Yes. So Paul, talk, Paul talked about in his epistles to walk, to walk, John says, the apostle, to walk as he walked and to walk worthy of your vocation, work worthy of your calling. In other words, if you're a Christian, you live or you walk according to what you really are. Not, not what you used to be, but walk as you are now as a believer, as a Christian. And so in Luke chapter 2, we're going to read the verse together, please. Luke chapter 2. And then I'll say some things about this scripture. And hopefully it will be helpful to you. Now believe it or not, when I prepare messages, I prepare with this in mind. That I hope it helps those who hear. Uh, one pastor had in his pulpit what are you trying to do to these people? Which is a good question to ask. For anyone who comes across his pulpit, if they see this sign, what are you trying to do to these people? And so what we're trying to do to these people is to try to help them to walk with Christ and walk better and live better as Christians and also to give the gospel that people who hear the gospel have a chance to turn to Christ in faith. Luke chapter 2. Before you know it, it's going to be Christmas time. We're going to go to Luke again. Luke chapter 2 this morning and come down to the end of the chapter verse number 40 uh, verse number 41 and then we'll go up to verse 40 number 52 now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover 
And remember when the Passover feast was instituted in the book of Exodus, we learned about that, we heard about that this morning, verse 42. When he was about 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. You could say that he, you could say a lot of things about that verse. You could say that he didn't listen to his parents, he didn't to his parents. You could say that uh, he uh, was not respected. All, all those not be right. All those be illegitimate. And so don't read that into that scripture. He was just doing something else. Verse 44, but they supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. This becomes kind of scary for a parent. Where's, where's, where's Joseph? I don't know. I thought he was with you. I thought he was with you. Hey, you seen Joseph? I have seen Joseph. Oh, no. He met what goes to a parent's mind and heart when the child is not there. I know he's 12. He's kind of a big boy, probably. I mean, he's not a, a toddler. But uh, where is he? And so they go back to where they came from. Verse 46, And he came to pass that after three days, they found him. Three, three long days. Three scary days. Three stressful days. Would you say that as a parent? One time Joseph got lost from me in Sears at Alamoa, which is no longer there. I don't know how old he was, but he was old enough for me to hold his wrist like that. And uh, somehow I got distracted by sports, sporting goods. And he's walking around with me. Miranda somewhere looking at fabrics, I think. And so anyway, I got looking at something and let him go. And he just kind of did a little boy. He just <laughs> like a little minion, you know, just <laughs> bumping into things. And I turned around and said, it's Nathan. He wasn't there. Looked around. I began to feel kind of scared. Looked around. Uh, not there. I went all over the place. There he was looking at something like this. Mind his own business. I grabbed him by his arm and said, don't you ever do that again. He looked at me like, what? <laughs> Don't ever leave me. I, I think he was thinking, well, why'd you let me go then? <laughs> anyway, I took him back, you know, got home, ran in the car on the way home. Boy, he heard it on the way home. Oh, man. He heard it left and right. I'm a better driver. Don't you ever do that again. It's Christ. Don't, don't you ever do that again. Never do that again. Never, never, never. You know what people can do. Nah, 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 nah. I was going on and on and on. Boy, he got it that day. And of course, it was kind of my fault because I let him go. <laughs> can you imagine how they felt? Nowadays, can you imagine how people feel when their kid's missing for one minute in the mall? There are all kinds of horror stories about people being kidnapped, kids being kidnapped, all kinds of stuff about child human trafficking. It's horrible. You know, those people deserve to get a hotter hell. I say that in a charitable way. If they do that to people, to kids who sell them like that, for, for gain, for profit, just for money, ruin people's lives forever can you imagine yeah. what it would be like on judgment day for those people yeah. you cannot imagine but really if there is justice in this world and there is not justice in this world but when there's justice to be meted out by god it's going to be appropriate it's going to be fair it's going to be harsh for yes. people like that yes so nonetheless it damages people's lives forever never be the same and so can you imagine how they must have felt well let's read on uh in verse number uh, 47 he's in the temple asking doctors hard questions it's kind of hilarious verse 47 and all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers 
And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. Yes, they were. Verse 49, they were good parents. That's why they were so sorrowful and hurt and stressed out. Verse 49, and he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? And so he was. Now, the Lord did what, what he did, not out of disobedience or disrespect to his parents, but he was, he was coming out already that he was about more than just being a carpenter's son. This was not going to be his, his trade. He was not going to be a carpenter, though he was raised in a carpenter's home. He was about someone else's business, his real father's business. And so that's what, that's what is being seen here. Verse 50, And they understood not the same which he spake unto them. Twelve years have passed since the angel spoke to Mary. And she had likely been busy with life and not been uh, conscious about what was going on at the birth of this God man, her son. Verse 51. And he went up and down, uh, uh, went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. That's a good verse. The Son of God was subject unto his stepfather and mother. He was obedient to them. But his mother kept all these things in her heart. Look at verse 52, our text for today. And Jesus increased in wisdom, stature, and in favor with God and man. Verse 52 is the verse I'd like to preach to you about today. And this is about change. This is about change. Now, I could just write change in a very simple way, but, you know, I, I like to write change. It's about change. Now, Jesus Christ changed in several ways. He changed, first of all, in wisdom. When he was born, of course, he's the son of God. He was all man and all God. Not 50-50, but 100%. He let aside his deity in a very real way to become human like us, yet without any sin. No sin in his blood, because he was virgin born. Yeah, you have to really understand that. He was not, um, he was all man and all God. Okay, totally. God in the flesh. 1 Timothy 3 tells us this is a mystery. God in the flesh. That's a mystery. How can you understand that? How can you cover that scientifically, biologically? It's really hard. But it does say he is God in the flesh. So as God in the flesh, as the son of God, as the son of man, he was growing up because he was in his mother's womb as any normal body growing and then he would be delivered. And so like a real normal birth in that sense, he was born. Well, he had to grow up too, like any normal boy or girl. So it took time for him to develop and to grow. But he was changing. He was changing physically. He was changing physically. He grew up. But the first thing about Jesus is he grew up uh, from a baby to young and physically, emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually. And in favor with men also. So his growth, his change was normal. He was changing. He was changing. He was growing. Change is not bad. Change is good in this life. Everyone has to change. Everyone who is born, if they don't change physically, something is very wrong. Uh, Randall, Miranda's brother, he's in his late 50s. Hard to believe this, but he still cannot care for himself because something did not develop in his, in his, in his brain. It's not his fault. It's not his parents' fault. Neither did his parents sin. 
but he has this condition where he cannot care for himself. So to this day, after all these decades, he's had to live in a home with other men where they are cared for, they are fed and bathed and so on, because they cannot care for themselves. Every time we see Randa in the summertime, he calls me Mr. Wonderful. Hey, Miranda, where's Mr. Wonderful? And he does that. He's quite a trip, Randall, like that. He walk around the house like a chicken, you know, and he, he loves candy, he loves sugar. And his mama, Nancy says, you can't have sugar. Mama, can I have sugar? He'll say, she'll say, no, Randy, you can't have sugar. Why not? Why not? He says, she says, because you'd be lit up like a, like a firecracker. <laughs> you just go crazy with the sugar. Well, huh? Well, mama, I know one thing. When I get to heaven, I'll have all the sugar I want. <laughs> and she'll, he'll say, yes, Randall, you'll have all the sugar you want. Why argue with him? Let him think that, you know? But anyway, uh, so something is not right. Whatever the cause, who can tell? But um, Jesus grew up normally, physically. He grew up as a babe, became strong as a young man. And I think every young boy growing up should develop, become strong in certain areas of his body. He should be strong in his hands, strong in his legs, strong in his back. He ought to be strong, develop strength normally by doing certain things so that he can become uh, a, a young man who is helpful and useful. The, the two grand boys, they're so helpful, they're so useful. Uh, although they're kind of thin, they're wiry strong. They help move some furniture in and out of the house. You know, these uh, Facebook marketplace things, people buy stuff, people sell. We, Miranda's always going back. She's like a wheeler dealer. <laughs> we got rid of something yesterday, and we got something else in the house yesterday, and got something, in, got something from Mary the other day. They helped bring it out, you know, all the upstairs. There. I don't want to do that anymore. Let these young, strong boys do that. It's kind of nice to have free hired help. And uh, so they get to do that. It's good for people to grow up. But two or three years ago, they were not so strong. Five years ago, they're pretty pathetic. Six years ago, they're just good for nothing. Now they're good for something. And uh, now there's little, little Caleb. There's uh, Matthew. On him. Matthew, he's at the dimples. You know, Matthew, boy, he's around for office. He'll get votes just by his smile alone. Cowboy hat, cowboy guns, and he's wearing... Army, Marine fatigues, and the vest, and he, he's like all day long in a hot house. That guy is kind of like not aware of heat and humidity. <laughs> you know, this kind of thing. Now, he can't do too much, but he's growing. When he was born at Kapilani, uh, he had real problems. But God helped him through all of that, and now he has developed normally. But he's growing. Not as strong as Samuel, but better looking than Samuel. He is growing, though. In due time, he would change. Change is normal. Change is good. Things change. You put something in the ground. You hope something comes up. Bear fruit. Something's got to change. You hope that happens. It's all natural. Jesus Christ, when it comes to change, he was born and he grew up, number one, in stature. It says in verse number 52, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature. Let me talk about the wisdom part first. Number one, wisdom. He grew. He increased. He changed in wisdom. Wisdom. Wisdom is a real blessing. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge and information and applying it to situations. Having knowledge does not mean you're wise. Knowing a lot of things does not mean you're wise. Knowing a lot of things is not wrong, but you need to apply what you know to certain situations like and that requires some wisdom. Yep. And so the Lord had that as he grew up. Applying wisdom, uh, applying knowledge to wisdom, with wisdom, information to situations, uh, being wise. Now come over to the book of Proverbs chapter 1 very quickly. Now if you look for some spectacular, never heard this before kind of message, uh, 
Maybe next week, but not today. <laughs> today is just something that you know. And I found out that people sometimes need to hear something they've heard before just to remind them, not because they need something new every time. Proverbs chapter 1, something you need to know. Chapter 1, verse number 1. Follow with me if you can in your Bible. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice and judgment and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man knowledge and discretion. That's a good word, discretion. Verse 5, a wise man will hear and will increase learning. And a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. Verse 6, to understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and the dark saints. Verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, you have some words attached to wisdom. You have words like instruction. You have words like um, uh, give subtlety to the simple. Discretion. Discretion. Those words are important to me because discretion is something needed today and lacking today. Discretion. Discretion. Discretion is to be able to see a situation for what it is and to figure out what's wrong and to figure out what to do about it, to fix it. There's so many things wrong in our world today and no need to rant about it, but I'm telling you, a lot of things are wrong in this world today, but people don't know how to discern how to fix it. That's right. They try all kinds of things and it doesn't fix anything. It makes it worse. Right. They try this and it doesn't help. They try this and it doesn't help. It's because they don't discern what the real problem is. Right. Now, I have a pet problem. No, I don't have a pet problem. I don't have a, I have a problem with certain things, what I'm trying to say. I, I see people who are homeless pushing carts that they're stolen from the stores. That bothers me because that costs the store something per cart. And now they're taking steps to lock it up so you can't go to certain parts of the parking lot. I was pushing a Costco cart one day and um, I was going to go toward Home Depot. That's where I parked it, downtown. I get to a certain part, the thing locks up. The wheels don't turn. What is going on? I'm pushing that thing. Ah, man, this is a safety anti-theft move. Well, look, that hindered me from, I was going to return the cart. <laughs> I really was, maybe by next week, but I was going to return the cart, but they, they thought I might be, they're trying to protect their interests. I understand that. People have problems in this world. Society's problems in this world. What do they do about it? They don't seem to do much about it to fix the problem. There's lack of discernment, lack of wisdom right. about the problem. Uh, homelessness in your state of California, homelessness in San Francisco, homelessness in Hawaii, homelessness and theft and unbelievable theft in stores and, and going down as a gang and stealing thousands of dollars worth of merchandise and things. And people just stand there and watch. I saw a, a, a YouTube clip of this guy going into a Walmart. He's smashing with the with the tool all these glass covers, but the jury has smashed them. And there's men around, grown men, employees. They're telling people, stay back, be careful, stay back, be careful, stay back. Nobody had the guts to go and stop that guy. They just say, stay back, stay back, stay back. The guy's going there unimpeded, just as if he has the right to do this because of his problem. There's no discernment nowadays. Um, when I go to a doctor, I want the doctor to be discerning. When I go to the dentist, which I don't want to do, <laughs> but when I go to the dentist, I want him to be discerning. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, what about this? Uh-huh, okay. I want him to know what he's talking about. I want him to re rely on his training, his experience, and give some wise counsel about what I should do to improve my dental health. I don't just say, 
I don't want him to say, oh, you look good. But I don't feel good. Well, you look good to me. Out of here. No, I don't need that. I need somebody who's got some wisdom and some discretion. Same thing with cars. Don't you hate it when a car goes funny kind and uh, doesn't sound right? It's making all kinds of sounds and you don't know what the sound is? One time a lady was driving her car and every time she made a left turn, there's a rolling bumping sound. And so she turned left. She turned right. There's a rolling sound in the back of the car. She didn't know what it was. She panicked and thought, oh no, my car's, the brakes don't work. Oh no, something's going wrong. Oh no, what am I going to do? She's, she's getting so agitated because there's a sound. Every time she makes a turn, there's a, 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 a sound in the thumb. A rolling sound in the thumb. A rolling sound in the thumb. She doesn't know what that is. She's a woman. No, no. Just kidding. <laughs> so she takes the mechanic. She describes the sound to the mechanic. The mechanic checks the car around, lifts up the hood, opens the trunk. And finally says, I found a solution to your problem. Already? How much is it going to cost me? Nothing. I like those mechanics that say it's not going to cost you anything, which is rare. I found a problem. I found the cause of your rolling and thumping sound. What is it? He said, he went inside the trunk, pulled it out, a bowling ball. <laughs> rolling back and forth. Every time you make a turn. Well, he was wise enough to start small and troubleshoot before he charged a lot of money for something that don't have to be done. You need discernment in this world. And so the Lord grew up in wisdom. He was very wise. When it comes to current events, understanding the times, people don't understand the times. They think this is just falling apart because it's falling apart. Could it be because we're living in the last days? Could that be a possibility? Last days, conditions, last days, signs, last days, events, all leading to the coming of the Lord. Could that be? People don't think about it that way. They say, oh man, this place is so bad, I want to move to Australia. You don't want to do that. I'll move to Canada. You don't want to do that. I'll move to the Middle East. You don't want to do that. Have you heard what happened in the Middle East, in Israel? Yeah. You don't want to do that. But people don't discern things. They just react to things and overreact to things. And they panic and push this button, that button, and they get extreme. And we're going to pick up and leave right now. Relax. Have some discernment. Have some wisdom about the times in which we live. Understand the times. What's wrong? How to make it right? Crime, homelessness, I mentioned that. Trafficking, human trafficking, political corruption, personal corruption. Um, solution. There is a solution to all of these problems. But you're going to have to have some wisdom to discern what is a problem and what to do about the problem? You just can't fire this guy and fire that guy and re-elect this guy or not elect this guy. Just you gotta be smarter than that. You gotta have some wisdom, some discernment. And so the answers come, of course, from God and from his Bible. And the more we ignore the Bible, the more we don't open the Bible, the more we say it's not relevant for us today, the more we bypass the Bible, the more the problems persist and increase and get worse and worse and worse. And the solutions are never found because the solutions are always non-biblical. Now, you and I believe that the Bible applies to many aspects of life. We believe that, don't we? Yes. Now, you don't have to be a Christian to practice the Bible. God bless anybody who practices the principles of the Bible. Even when it comes to the land. If you let the land rest after so many years, the land will be refreshed and replenished again. So you rotate the crops. Whether they realize or not, they're practicing some biblical principle. And if you treat people right, believe it or not, what goes around comes around. That's not a Bible verse, but that's a principle. You reap what you sow. You treat people like dogs, they're going to bark, start barking at you. You want people to like you? A friend must show himself to be friendly. 
you know, all these things are biblical principles. If you practice them, have some wisdom, things might get better, things might change for the better. And so there are answers that come from God's word. And so when you ignore God's words, things never change for the better. Things never change for the better. Now, let me say it one more time with emphasis. Things never change for the better. We ignore what the Bible says. It always doesn't get better. It gets worse. I was talking to a young lady. She's at Schofield. Uh, gave her a ride and didn't know at the beginning uh, what the situation was. She started to talk to me. And uh, I found out she's just talking. This uh, not relevant, this young Filipino woman married to a Hispanic guy at Schofield. And uh, she started talking. Now, when I picked her up, she was talking to some guy. She gave this guy a hug and a kiss goodbye. And I thought, well, you know, none of my business, but something funny going on. Then she gets in the car. She says, oh, my husband. I said, that was your husband? No, that's my best friend. I said, oh, hugging and kissing your best friend, bye? Oh, my husband. And she starts to rant about her husband. And she says, oh, my husband, he is so, un he is so incapable of understanding my feelings. And so that's an open door from to ask a question, right? So I asked a simple question. What do you mean? Oh, I don't want to talk, but I said, okay, fine. She said, but, and it makes Tim what's wrong. <laughs> My husband, oh, he's such a, we get into arguments. We argued today. I said, uh, may I ask you about what? She says, yeah, about, um, about work. What about work? Oh, he doesn't want to take up work to be with me. I said, well, people have to work, don't they? Yeah, but yeah, but he's in the army. Why can't he just say he don't want to work? <laughs> I said, you don't understand note clap, do you? No, I don't. And so she said, she said, I've been away from him all day, from morning until 8.30 at night. I said, so you guys are really angry with one another, aren't you? She says, oh, yeah, I want to divorce him. You want to divorce him? Has he talking about divorce? He says, a little bit. I said, what are you folks doing you guys argue like this? She says, well, I just, I just leave the house and leave him alone, and I go and hang around my friends and get relief. Well, what does he do? He says, I'm going to go out and go drink. I said, okay, so I got this picture. You, he goes out to drink when he's upset with you, and you go hang around with your friends, your male friends, to get some, some comfort. Is that right? That's about it. You know what I said? I said, you know, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. <laughs> now, I don't usually talk like that. But I was moved to talk like that. And I wanted to tell her because, you know, never have a chance again for us. I said, you know what? You're doing something exactly wrong. She said, what do you mean? I said, that doesn't make any sense for him to go out and drink with friends just to get away from the problem. That's avoiding the problem. That's not smart. And you run around talking to these guy friends of yours and kissing goodbye, huggy duggy. I said, what is that? That's, that's all wrong. I said, you both are wrong. How old are you? 19. How old is he? 25. I said, you're children. You're children. You're babies. I said, you need to get some help. She said, where do I get some help? If there was ever an open door. <laughs> what I'm telling you, I told her, I said, you need to go to the Bible. She said, well, I go to church. I said, well, I pray you're not listening to anything then or something. I said, the Bible will give you help for this. I said, I've been married 46 years. I said, she said, 46 years? And everybody gets kind of spooked when I say that, 46 years. Like, that's not possible. I said, we've made our mistakes, but we've gone to the place for help. 
We've gone to the source of help. We've gone to the Bible and we've gotten discernment about why we have problems and why we've been able to fix the problems. I said, look, I can tell you something. You listen to me. And so people just don't have discernment. They don't have wisdom. They just react to things and they make a bigger mess out of anything in the world. You wouldn't imagine the problems people get into and just compound it because they don't go to the Bible don't believe in God. You don't believe it. You, you wouldn't believe how messed up people are. Not because they're not smart. It's because they don't have discernment. They don't have discernment because they don't have wisdom. No wisdom because they don't go to the Bible. They don't go to God for help. They go to themselves. They go to their friends. Can you imagine getting help from your peer? What's your peer going to tell you? Yeah, he's a real scumbag. That's not what you need to hear when you got problems with your husband. Peer's going to tell you, remember one time there's a transition of kings in the Old Testament, Solomon, after the Rehoboam and Jeroboam and all that. And one of the kings, one of the sons, got advice from his peers instead of the old people. The old people from the previous administration, Solomon, they gave their opinion about how to rule the people. And uh, then the young people, the peers of this king, gave opinion about how he should rule. He disregarded the old man's opinion and went to the, the opinion of the peers. Messed things up even more. Made things even harder for the people. They hated him. And rightfully so. Wrong source of information, wrong source of truth. I'm telling you this morning that Jesus Christ grew in wisdom. And I'm also saying that we need to learn how to be wise as well. Christians need to be wiser than they are. They need to develop in that way. And you need to, and I need to grow in wisdom and not just look at things from the humanistic, fleshly viewpoint. Look at the problem and discern the problem and you discern the solution problem. Um, I'll confess to you that sometimes my wife irritates me. I know your wife doesn't irritate you. I know your husband doesn't irritate you. I sometimes irritate my wife. Now, I was about to say, I sometimes irritate my husband, but that would not be the right thing to say. That'd be very wrong to say. Had a, had a guy one time say to me, uh, he's by himself, he says, yeah, me and my husband. I can't help but react. I looked in the mirror, he said, yeah, me and my husband, man, like that. And then another lady picked up, she was a nurse over at uh, Tripler, and she had a baby, and she was just small talking, you know, and then she says, yeah, me and my wife. Again, my head went to the mirror, me and my wife. Now she wanted me to hear that, he wanted me to hear that, and he wanted me to not say anything or not say anything negatively or just affirm and, you know, just kind of, but, Problems. People have problems. They all go the wrong way because they go to the wrong source for help. We need to go to the Bible, go to God for help. We need to grow in that. We need to change from our thinking to the way God thinks, the way God said things ought to be. Now, you cannot, you cannot change to be a mature Christian. You cannot change to be a godly Christian, a more godly Christian, if you're just going to listen to your own heart. Some of the most foolish advice I hear at graduation speeches or any kind of place where people give a speech is follow your heart. Follow your heart? You know what the Bible says about your heart? Yeah. It, is. it is desperately wicked. Right. Who can know it? Right. Well, if you got a desperately wicked heart, why would you listen to that kind of desperately wicked heart? Yeah. Your heart mind has to be transformed by the power of the gospel and the power of Jesus Christ right. and by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we think differently than what yeah. we normally think. That's right. Your heart, my heart, if we, if we had our own way, we'd do the dumbest things in the world. Yeah. 
I saw, speaking about dumb things, I saw this guy jumping off of the cliff. Now, this guy came to the edge of the cliff, he threw a water balloon down to see it fall. Thousand one, thousand two, thousand three, thousand four splash, way down. And this guy was like this. He, he had a moment of hesitation because as he did that, he did that. So I thought, oh man, he's gonna chicken out. But he jumped over, he flipped and done all that kind of somersault kind of thing. Made a perfect dive. Now, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna do that. For one, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> For two, I might hit a rock below the water. And for three, I'm not gonna be goaded to do that because my friends say, go ahead, don't be a chicken. Yeah, if I, if I, I'm gonna back up. They call me chicken, I'm gonna start cluck. I don't mind clucking. I don't mind clucking if that's gonna save my life. People do all kind of foolish things out of pressure from friends and from peers. You need to have some discernment and have some wisdom. Now, uh, he grew in stature, physical development. He also grew in favor with God. Look at that. I'll go back to uh, Luke chapter 2. Discernment, wisdom. Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature. And in favor with God and man. Let's talk about that. He grew in favor with God and man. You remember one time the Lord was being baptized by John the Baptist and a voice from heaven came down. Remember that? And the voice said this. Now it was a real audible voice. It thundered. How did that voice sound? I don't know. Maybe like Charlton Heston. This is my beloved son. Or maybe um, CNN. That voice. But what's that guy's name? Um, that guy. So maybe, I don't think it sounded like that, but it was a booming voice to us. It was audible. It was heard from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then it also said that, that voice said that too, at his transfiguration, Matthew chapter 17. Twice now you heard a voice from heaven saying about his son, this is my beloved son, in whom I, God the Father, am well pleased. That voice said, look, world, this is my beloved son. And this is my beloved son, I am well pleased with him. Because he did everything that pleased his father. Now the Bible says in Matthew, or in Luke, he increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God. In favor with God. He grew in favor with God. Jesus Christ grew up, and as he's able to to talk and to walk and to do different things. And as he began to mature physically in his stature, as he began to intellectually develop, and as he went to school, as he learned things, he grew in stature and in wisdom and in favor with God. When it was time for him to behave in a certain way, he chose to behave in a certain way. Everybody has a choice to make. And Jesus Christ, when he started to make choices as a young boy, all men, yet God, he always chose to do the right thing. He always chose to lean toward obeying God. He always chose, though he was tempted, he always chose to do the right thing. Though tempted to say something and foul with his mouth, he always was tempted to do that. He always leaned toward doing the right thing. The words of his mouth and the meditation of his heart is pleasing to God. Well, he always felt like that. He always did that. Because the Father said about him, My beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Not just pleased, but well pleased. He's well pleased. He's very pleased with them. Have you ever been proud of your children? Have you ever been proud of your children? And you said to yourself, wow, I can't believe that's my daughter, my son. Such a great guy. And now you feel really proud and you, you, you know, your heart, you feel so good and you don't want to tell him or her because you might get a big head. 
And you tell your neighbor, you tell your friend, you know what my son did? You know what my, you know what my dog did? Ah, oh, so cool, so awesome, blah, blah, blah. you go on and on. You're just proud because you're well-pleased. You're not just pleased, you're well-pleased. I'm very well-pleased with some of the grandkids, not all of them. <laughs> some of the young ones, they're such manipulators. <laughs> they're such con men. Ethan, Dimple Ethan, comes up to me. Now, I made a mistake. I paid him for massaging my feet. Now, I got my feet up on my uh, footstool. I'm chilling out on my couch. He comes up to me. He comes up, come up, come. comes up. Grandpa? Grandpa? If I massage your feet now, will you pay me a quarter? I say, you want to do it for free? He says, mm-mm. <laughs> little manipulator. Well, but the other boys, now Joseph, firstborn, in the Hebrew understanding of things, firstborn is more special than the others. In a lot of ways that's true, but you can't really reflect it to the siblings because the firstborn is very special, but the second, third, and fourthborn, they don't think the firstborn is so special. There's competition. And it's almost normal. It can be very bad if you don't have that under control, but the firstborn is more special. Firstborn, uh, Joseph, firstborn, violin man, violin man, uh, he didn't know how to play several years, three, four years ago, but he liked it, picked it up, got some lessons, parents paid for lessons, still do. And then uh, somehow the teacher said, try for the youth symphony, try it out, and he made the audition. Now he practices every Saturday down in town for, you know, for the Honolulu Youth Symphony in the violin section. Now I'm proud about that, because I have no musical ability. I like the music, but I can't do it. I'm so frustrated. Every time I hear good violins in an orchestra like that, I feel like, oh, that is so beautiful, that's so beautiful. I wish I could play, but I can't. But this boy can, and I'm proud of him. I'm very well pleased with him for doing that. And Anna, she's got a lot of virtue. You know, Anna's a very dedicated, stick-to-it kind of a person. She'll do a thing for pay or for, for as a chore. She'll stick to it until it's done. Samuel, he'll start, he'll quit. <laughs> because he's distracted. And so, I am well pleased can you imagine my father being well pleased with his only beloved son? How well pleased he was? Can you imagine? The father knew exactly what he was going through on earth as a man, in the flesh, in the first century, in his, in his world. And he still resisted. He still did the right thing. He still walked as he walked. He still did as he should have done. And when he had his devotion, when Jesus had his prayer time, you know, Jesus often slept away late at night or was seen early morning in devotion, in prayer to his Father in heaven. Busy as he was, he always made time to be away with his Father, and his Father ascend in heaven. That just pleases me so much. I'm so glad to talk to you, my son. It, you know, it's, it's good that we communicate like this every day. Yeah, it's really good. You get to know what I'm thinking about, and I know what you're thinking about. We're on the same page. Is it good to be on the same page with God? Sometimes we're not on the same page with Him because we're not communicating with Him. We're not well-pleasing to Him. We talk to everybody, learning everything. Where's my phone? Learning everything about this, that. So we turn our phone on, Google search, that, 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 that. We know everything instantly. But we have no communication time with God. Maybe he's not well pleased with us because we're not spending time with him. But his son spent time with him. His son always did things in his daily routine, his activities. He spent time with him and the Lord was pleased with his son. He is so well pleased with him. I want to tell you this. The goal of the Christian life is not to do as we have said for many generations or decades as Christians in meaning well. 
But the goal of the Christian life is to be well-pleasing to God, your Father. Well-pleasing to Him. Because if you're well-pleasing to Him, as we shall soon see, it'll please other people too who also want to be well-pleasing to God. You are not wrong. You're not wrong. You're absolutely right if you live a life that wants to be well-pleasing to your Father. That is your goal as a Christian. That's being conformed to the image of Christ. That is shaping your character, changing your thinking. That is being more spiritual, more godlike, less worldly. When you when you when you focus, when your goal is to be well pleasing to the Father. Now, I do things to my wife that pleases her. I don't like to do it, but I do it anyway. Uh, I mentioned about this furniture stuff, buying and selling all these kind of things, refinishing, sanding, and painting, and all these kind of things. I don't want to do it, but after I'm done doing it, I feel good because she's pleased. We do things as Christians that we don't want to do in the flesh, but we do it because it is well-pleasing to God the Father. Let that be your principle. Let that be your guide. Do the right thing. Now, he says in Ecclesiastes, I'll read the verse 2, 12, 13. Let us see the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of men. Now, the reason why Ecclesiastes wrote that scripture under inspiration of the Holy Spirit is not to say you must obey the commandments of God for salvation. He's not talking about that. This is in the Old Testament. 12, 13 of Ecclesiastes is saying that as a general statement of principle that this is this is why this is why you were created by God and this is how you live to show appreciation to you God that you are grateful for how he made you and what he's gifted you with. Your duty is to live a life that pleases God the Father. That's what that statement's about. It's a general principle. Do all to the glory of God. Now, God has given to everyone, and I do mean everyone literally. God's given to everyone certain things, skills and abilities, and even gifts, talents even. And he was given to them so that they could eventually learn that God gave it to them and then use that ability, gift, and skill to honor and glorify the God who gave it to them. So often it doesn't happen that way. Because people don't recognize, first of all, God. They don't acknowledge him in all their ways. Therefore, they use their skills and abilities for themselves, for their own gain. Now, I'll say this to balance things out and be fair. It's not wrong to use your abilities and skills and talents to earn an income because there's nothing wrong with that. Provide for your own house, so that's great. But don't ever think that it's because of you and you alone that you have the ability to make all this money. God gave you the brain. God gave you the speaking ability. God gave you the skills and everything else. And so he's your creator. He made you this way, and you can fulfill one real principle, one real specific design God has for your life, and that is to live, to give honor and glory to him and to please him. That's why he says in 12, 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. Your whole duty, my whole duty is to live every day to honor Jesus Christ. That's a very reasonable duty. It's a very expected duty. It will bring honor to God. My life will be changed. We're talking about change. My life will be changed for the better because I'm living for Christ, a higher, a higher value system that you and I ought to have well it's not for salvation for self-effort a general statement and my duty is to please the Lord in all that I do uh, I'll write a name on the board here do you know Reginald White was was because he's now in heaven, in heaven for over 15-20 years football player for the Philadelphia Eagles <clears throat> They will win the NFC East, beat the Cowboys, I'm sure. Reggie White was the defensive tackle, Christian man. Now, I'm going to tell you about him because his life 
since he had gotten saved, was dedicated to glorifying God off the field and on the football field. Reggie White was called the Minister of Defense in a mocking way because he was a Christian, he was a preacher, but he was also a professional football player. He was terrible. People hated him because he was so good. The offensive line hated him because he could sack the quarterback. Reggie White lived the life of a dedicated Christian as a football player, as a Christian husband and father. He had a program where he built homes for, for those who are not able to in the, in the Philadelphia area. He used his skills, his money to build homes for people. Not any old people, but people who were trying to do the right thing, but they had just needed a little help to get over some home. He did that as a football player. Reggie White understood his duty was to glorify God with his body, with his skills. Not everybody could have done what he could have done and did, but he did it. He got all this millions of dollars in salary and fame and everything. He used it as a way to help people. Good for you, Reggie White. There's another man I'm going to put up here. His name. Oh, what is his name? Another football player. What is his name? He played for the Detroit Lions. He's now retired. Been retired for 20 years. Little short guy. I mean, like that. 5'5 five, five kind of guy. Okay? Running back. That's the one. The one we can't think of his name. That guy. That's the one. That's the one. Uh, anyway, uh, he was such a good player. Retired at the prime of his career. That means he ended with a lot of highlights and no fumbles and things like that. That guy was a Christian since he was a boy. Went to church in uh, in a northern town of Texas, small town. And when he got his signing bonus, you know what he did with his signing bonus? <laughs> You're not gonna believe this is so incredible. He tied his signing bonus to a small church in Texas. He got out two or three million dollars. He tithed on that one because he grew up in church believing that the tithe belonged to God. And he did that. People, other people, they buy stuff for themselves. Fur coats, you know, six or seven EVs. You know, they just pamper themselves because, you know, okay, he bought a, uh, he bought a car. Uh, he, he, he tithed on that to his church. And as he, and as he continued his, his uh, career, he always tithed his salary to his local church. Why? Number one, he believed, he understood God created him. God gave him the ability to play football, to run like he ran. Um, and so he honored God with that. He lived a life, these two guys lived a life to glorify God, to give honor and praise to God. That was the focus. They were great players, one offense, one defense, great people, personally, men of character and integrity, and they were not, they were not doing things just for themselves. Uh, there are some other people I'd like to bring to your attention, and I kind of hesitate to bring their names to you because there's always something wrong with these people. Barry Sanders is his name. Yeah. Barry Sanders. There's other people I'm bring up, and you might find something wrong with them because uh, I don't know everything about these people. I know something about them from a distance, but you have people who are entertainers, singers. Long time ago, she got into trouble with the, um, she was a spokesman for Florida Orange Juice Association, like that, and she objected to lesbians and something like that and so she got canned and she got fired Anita Bryant remember Anita Bryant in Florida she was a decent singer uh, meaning she had character she had integrity appeared and she sang to honor and glorify God then you had other people who wrote music and they did things in their time uh, there's one song that I like I don't know if you like the song or not I don't know if you like the guy or not but this man I'll tell you his name in just a minute he wrote lyrics to a song and he performed it Back in the 70s or early 80s, this guy was a druggie, and God saved him. 
and then uh, changed his life totally. You talk about real change, the gospel changed his life. And then he began to write Christian songs that he made the circle of speaking songs. The song goes like this, to God be the glory. Uh, how can I say thanks for the things you have done for me? Things so undeserved, yet you gave to prove your love to me. The voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude. All that I am and ever hope to be, I owe it all to thee. What great lyrics that is. I read it again, it's so good. How can I say thanks for the things you have done for me? Really, how can we thank God for the things you've done for us? How can we? Things so undeserved. Did you deserve anything good from God? Unworthy, unworthy, unworthy. Yet you gave to prove your love to me. Well, God says he loves me, God is love, but how do I know God loves me? By the things he's done for me. The expression of God's love, not just in statement, but in practice, in something real, where he has showed his love for us by doing something for us. Things so undeserved, yet you gave to prove your love for me. The voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude. Well, that's saying quite a bit there. All that I am and ever hope to be, I owe it all to thee. That's a man who has been touched by God. Yes. That's a man who has experienced the grace and mercy of God. He sees his life and says, I was in drugs, I was in alcohol, I was a, a pervert, I was damned for hell, and then God reached out and saved me. But he didn't have to, but he did. Didn't need to, but he did. I should go and line up hell, but he saved me from going there. And why did he do that? Well, because of John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. Oh, but I don't deserve it. The Lord says, you got that right. I don't deserve to get saved. You got that right. But you saved me anyway. You got that right. Why? Because I love you. I don't want you to go there. I want you to go there. Oh, Lord, but I'm so unworthy. You got that right too. I wish everybody got that right. <laughs> and so that man was transformed inside out. When a man gets touched by God and gets really saved inside out, his thinking changes. His values change. His duty changes. His devotion changes. Maybe not all of a sudden, but it comes out. Yeah. What's inside comes out. And so he wrote this great song. To God be the glory. To God be the glory. To God be the glory, the car says, for the things he has done. With his blood he has saved me. With his power he has raised me. To God be the glory for the things he has done. Just let me live my life. Let it be pleasing, Lord, to thee. And if I gain any praise, let it go to Calvary. What a great song. Yes. What a great song. It's not just music. If I score a touchdown, let glory be to God. If I scored the winning shot in basketball, let God have all the glory. If I make on the stock market, let God have the glory. Oh. You know what Paul said about God getting the glory in Galatians chapter 1? He had tried to talk to some apostles. They said, nah, I don't believe you got saved. And you can't have been saved. You're just a reprobate. You, you are, you're a killer of Christians. And Paul gave his testimony how God saved him on the road to Damascus and how God taught him and so on. And at the end of that chapter, 1 of Galatians, it says this, and they glorified God in me. Galatians 1, verse 24. At the end of his testimony, they said, what can we say to these things? God really did change him. He cannot have made up these words. He cannot have said these things with such passion and conviction unless he really has experienced the grace of God. It's real, guys. It's real. This guy really is saved. This guy used to put us in Jewish to hide from this guy. But 
Good. I, I, I got to have one conclusion only. This guy really got saved. Okay, let's accept him. And Paul closes by saying, and they, these skeptics, Christians, glorified God in me. So, the whole purpose of man is to glorify God. The whole duty meant to glorify God. I think we need to change attitude here. He thought about change. We need to change attitudes from being selfish to think about ourselves only and then transfer to think about how can I glorify God today? How can God be honored with my life today? And that is really something that's transforming a life-changing thought, a truth from the Bible. Now, in Luke chapter 2, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God. Now, it says, and with man. Favor with man. Do you know that the Bible tells us this besides how, about how to be saved? If it be possible, live as much as, uh, as much as life in you. Live peacefully with all men. That's Romans chapter 12, verse number 18. That's about, that's about getting along with people as much as you can. Knowing full well, God knows full well, there's some people you just cannot get along with. God knows that. God is not saying ignore that belligerent, obnoxious, hateful person, maybe even neighbor. He's not saying don't even think about it. He's just saying as much as possible, live peacefully with all men. That is to counter this idea of being extreme. That you're going to be so right that if people don't match up to your being so right, you can't get along with them. You're going to have to be so right in the Bible, so right in doctrine, so right in eschatology, so right in everything, that if someone disagrees just a little bit, you're going to just discuss them as being a heretic. You know, that's a kind of extreme thing. The fact of the matter is this. Not everybody will agree with everything that you and I believe. I believe things about this Bible that I think I'm right about, but there's some things I could be wrong about. I can't think of any. <laughs> you folks have no sense of humor. You know that? It's just me to have a sense of humor. There are some things still we don't know, but there are some broad issues we are firm on. King James Bible, not going to change that, right? Okay, uh, second coming of Christ, rapture, second coming. We're not going to change about that. We're not going to change about who Jesus Christ is. We're not going to change about how to be saved. We're not going to change about that security of belief. We're not going to change that. A lot of things are not going to change because it is solid. It's a firm conviction. It's a firm belief in the scripture. It says so. But there are some things that we can disagree with that are not such a hot issue. I liken, I liken these issues to, I put a dollar amount. So uh, some issues are worth $100, and some are 50 and down the line you go to $0.25. Cents. Now, would you break fellowship over $0.25 cent issues? I mean, some things aren't, everything's important, but is everything to the same level of importance? Look, I may have a charismatic neighbor who's a decent neighbor, and I appreciate him because he's at least decent and moral, but he doesn't believe like I believe. Should I rail on him because he's a charismatic? I don't speak in tongues. I don't believe in the miracles that they say that ought to happen every instant fact. I don't believe that. I don't believe in the positive confession make up nonsense. I don't believe that. But he does, for example. Should I despise him because of that? Should I wave to him when he waves back to me? Should I say, how are you doing to him? Should I be cordial with him? Or should I just repent, you heretic, every time I see him? Should I do that? Why would I do that? Well, because I want to be right. But is that smart? Is it wise me to do that? Probably you're a dummy if you do that. Because you probably won't change him over this 25 cent issue, or maybe more than that. But can you live peacefully with all men in that situation? Probably you can. 
Probably you can. You probably appreciate him being there than the druggie being there, wouldn't you? Now, if you have a druggie next to you, I'll call the cops for sure. We got a neighbor, 10, 12 houses from us. Every Friday and Saturday, they're screaming after 10 o'clock. I mean, screaming. Violent female voices screaming. Nathan calls the cops often. They go down over there, you know, they come in our house first and they stop over there to try to calm themselves. It happened like that. We drive by on our bikes for the kids. There's smell of marijuana there. It's for medicinal use, though. <laughs> And it's horrible, okay? Now, we're not friendly with them. We're not cordial with them. We just go by. We ignore them. You know, they try to get the kids to attend. We just don't go around the kids when they're out there like that. So there's a situation like that where they, you know, have some sense about these things. But generally speaking, live peacefully with all men as much as possible. I'm not going to go to charismatic church. No, I don't go to that. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to participate in that. I've seen enough. I've been there a long time ago. I know what's happening. I don't want to be a part of that. See? But I, I don't have to be hateful to the guy. If he gets the flat tire, I'll try to help him. And he'll help me if my car won't start. We're just good neighbors. Things like that. So be careful not to uh, hate everyone because they disagree with you. You disagree with them. He, Jesus had favor with God and, and, and man. And man. And man. Well, some people, though, you know, you talk about you talk about um, being stubborn and hard-headed. By the way, the pulpit to set a, to make the sermon and to make it personal and public is to say, but it's not personally. Live peace from all men. Publicly from the pulpit, it's a little bit different situation where I have to, and I should, and I need to, like Second Timothy tells us. Preach the word, be instant season, out of season, reprove, rebuke with all long suffering. Okay? That is the charge to the preacher, the pastor. So he's not to be uh, persuaded by some person and preach against his sins and ignore other people's sins. He's supposed to be objective and preach what the Bible says, regardless of how people respond to it. All right? That's what Second Timothy is about. But personally, you need to try to get along with people as much as you can. Okay? From the pulpit side, Whatever the Bible says, what the Bible says. Okay? Fair enough? You may not like it, but it, I'm not supposed to say things because you might like it. I may not, I should not hesitate to say something because you might not like it. That is not the point. We're just supposed to open the Word of God and preach it, teach it as it says and what, as it applies. And you're supposed to, you're supposed to take it, you're supposed to take it in the right way. So, if I knew that you smoked, if I preach again, no, let, let's not use that. Uh, if I knew that you vaped, <laughs> and I preach about your body, harming your body, things like that, not even knowing it, back up. I don't know that you do that. I don't know that you do that. I know a lot that you do, but I preach about it because it's in the text, and you get offended because I preach about something uh, that you're guilty of. You should not be upset with me. You should be thankful that the Bible says something and I say what the Bible says. You should be thankful for that objectivity and not say, oh, uh, I can manipulate the, the pastor because uh, I, might, I might hold back on my giving if I... No, no, no. That has nothing to do with anything. I hope you understand. That's the job of the pulpit. When it comes to me treating you, you treating me, our neighbors and so people, strangers like that, be normal, be cordial, be nice. N-I-C-E. 
It's not a Bible word, but it's a practice. Be nice. Don't you like being around nice people? Or do you like to be around crabby people? I like to be around nice people. People who don't always argue and strive with me. We don't always agree with everything, but we have to always argue about things. Oh, it's so bad living with people who argue all the time. Oh, it's such, it's such a pain in the neck <laughs> to have people always second guessing, always correcting you because you said this wrong, you pronounced the word wrong. Is the word is the pronunciation for off with the word? How do you pronounce that word? Go ahead, say it. Do you see the T? Yeah. Often. You know it's not right. You say often. It sounds so wrong. There is a proper way of saying often. It's often, but I say often. But somebody says, you know. You mispronounced that word again. What? Often. What? What's wrong with often? It's supposed to be often. You know, some people, they come to church, listen to church, and the first thing they say after church is, can I tell you something? And usually that's a little bee, 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 bee. <laughs> And then it comes up, can I tell you something? Yeah, what? Well, you said this. However, the Bible says this. I said, oh yeah, well, yeah, my, my, bad, my bad, I just, I, I didn't think about that. Well, you should have. Okay, I should have. Must you rebuke me like that? <laughs> Can't you be nice about your rebuke? Add some sugar to that, make the medicine go down better? How much you just pull the tooth without any Novocaine, huh? People do that. They're not nice. <laughs> we always appreciate nice people, don't we? It's just called to be generally nice. Oh yeah, let me finish up here. Uh, about um, uh, people who are stubborn. I'm going to end with this one. You and I should be open to change when God changes us and not be not be so stuck in our ways. Uh, after all, we're still all growing. We all need to change about some things. There is a man who is so stubborn, he died. 1980, in Washington State, this guy was told, evacuate your home because there's real danger on this mountain. 1980, the man's name is Harry Randall Truman. 83 years old, he should know better. Such an old guy. 83 years old, he should know better. He was warned to evacuate because he lived close to Mount St. Helens. Well, famous guy, became very much like a cult leader he says, quote, I'm going to stay right here because, listen to this, I'm going to stay right here because I'll tell you why my home and my blank, he cussed, life is here, life is here. He told National Geographic in an interview. Then he says, my wife and I, we both vowed years and years ago that we will never leave Spirit Lake. We loved it. It's part of me and I'm part of that, and he cussed again, mountain. Well, he was right about that. Because in the, when the Mount Helens blew up and exploded, he was covered by lava and mud, and he really became a part of the mountain. He was a very stubborn man. He was told to go, but he said, no, this is where I lived. I'm going to stay here until I die, and he did. Stubborn man. People who are stubborn like that, they can never change their mind. A fool who never changes his mind is a genuine, bona fide, government-inspected, grade-A fool. Any reasonable man 
ought they be able to change their mind. There's another man in the Bible, I'll quit here. In Matthew 14, he was a king. This man was a pretty lousy man because he had no character, no integrity. He was pretty wishy-washy. He was run by his wife, who was his brother's wife. And this guy had a, some kind of celebration, and he had this his wife's daughter come and do a dance. And he got so fired up, he got so excited, he got so he got so he got so lustful that he promised this young teenage girl who did this bill of dance for him, whatever dance she did. After it was over, he could hardly breathe. He was just, he said, come here, come here, honey, come here, honey. And she said, yes, your majesty. That was such a, that was such a performance. That was so good. I, I, I wish you could go on for another half an hour. Look, you, you, I am so well pleased. You can be well pleased in the wrong things. I am so well pleased. I'll give you anything you want. No, I'll give you anything you want. Think about it. I'll give you anything you want up to half my kingdom. And she said, may, may I have a time out, please, Your Majesty? I need to ask my wife for what she thinks. Okay? Is that okay? Anything you're going to take your time. She goes and talks to the mom. The king promised me up to half his kingdom. What should I ask for? The, the, the king's wife hated John the Baptist because he had preached publicly that it's not lawful for him to have his brother's wife. So she was very offended by that. She was very put out. She was very, very upset. She was very, very hateful. And she could not find a way to get even. Now she had a way. All right, mom. Honey, have the king ask for the head of John the Baptist. Oh, oh, in a charger, in a plate with a cover. Can you do that? Mom, is that what you want? That's gross. That's what I want. Okay. And so she got her wish. John the Baptist was executed in prison, beheaded, because of a young girl dancing, uh, firing up this king. But when the king heard that, he was sorry because he respected John the Baptist, even though he preached against him. See, men respect men who tell the truth, okay? He's a bad king, but he respected this man for being truthful. But he couldn't change his mind. He couldn't say it. He had said it to everybody in front of everybody that this is a promise. He, he couldn't back down because he made a public statement. He should have just humbled himself and said, hey, everybody, look, I, I, I promised uh, this young lady, my uh, uh, my wife's daughter, I was going to, but you know, I changed my mind. No, I changed my mind. He didn't do that. And because of his pride and ego and stubbornness and not being willing to change his mind, a man was killed. Now that's extreme about not being able to change your mind. Every once in a while, you need to change your mind. Every once in a while, when it comes to doing the right thing. And so, I have more here, but I think I have said enough for today. And so, change is good if it's the right reasons. You need to all grow up, like Luke 2.52 says, in these areas in your life. Now maybe maybe you should not you can't do one the the physical one the statue you can't maybe do that anymore. It is said that uh, your eyes don't grow anymore after you're born. I don't know about that, but it sure looks like people's eyes grow more. But a lot of things will not grow physically anymore. It's just done. The genetics is set that it's done. But you certainly can grow in favor with God and in spiritual things and in how you do with people. You certainly grow in that. All right, so grow in the areas that you can and be trying to do the things that you should do even though it's against kind of like your own nature. All right, let's pray.
Father, I pray that you bless the scriptures uh, to all of us by means of making us, causing us, challenging us, provoking us to live a life that will be pleasing to you. That's the goal. That's the purpose of all that we do, read, study, learn, is to practice what the Bible says. Not just to be smart, but to be living a life that is honoring to you. Lord, help us to be more and more like that. Help us to know this world is not our friend. And we need to keep our eyes on the Word of God and on Jesus Christ. Help us today, Lord, with that. If people will learn to do that even more today, it's been a good day. If people can learn to have that conviction and make it a real part in your life, it's been a good day. Help us, Lord, with that one thing. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.